Long-time listeners, we're going to give you some advice here that will seem counterintuitive to you, things that we never usually suggest that you do. Do not start Rogue One. I repeat, do not start Rogue One. Live for the Mundangerous Freshman Seminar in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 107 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're presenting a special primer on role-playing games. What are they? How do you play? And why would you even want to? Later, the rogue traders split up to whip an army into shape in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign, and after that, our beginner's luck build eases into RPGs in the Character Creation Forge. So this episode is coming out the Thursday of Gen Con. So if you are at Gen Con, please reach out to us. Uh, we would love to meet some of our listeners. Uh, you can find us on Twitter or email is fine. And this is also the perfect episode for you to send to all your friends or family back home who are wondering what it is you're actually doing this weekend. Yeah, where did you go for four days? I don't <laughs> quite understand. Do you need to come out of the closet about being nerdy? Right. This is perhaps one way to do it. And hey, friends and family, if you're listening to this, we're going to talk a little bit about role-playing games. Yeah, so we're we're doing this episode because this is one of the most common questions we get asked about. Uh, not as podcasters, as people who play role-playing games. Yeah. And I never have a good way to like quickly explain it to people or to point them to something to be like, listen to this, now you'll get it, right? So that's our goal is stick with us for the next 20 to 30 minutes for our first segment here and hopefully you'll understand what a role-playing game is what is dungeons and dragons uh, what is it my kids are doing or my friends are doing or what is it that shane and nishan's podcast is about so for regular listeners we're going to do things a bit out of order we are moving the dynasty unwarranted recap to later in the episode and then going to jump right into our topic and the Character Creation Forge is specifically a build designed for new players that you can either give to someone else or, hey, if you're a new listener, here's something you can play right out of the box. Okay, so what is a role-playing game? It really boils down to collaborative storytelling. It's a game where a group of people get together and tell a story together. Think about you know, going camping and telling tall tales around the campfire. You are improvising additions to other people's stories as they tell it, and then they are, you know, adding on to yours. It's it's like playing cowboys and Indians as a kid. Cops and robbers. Yeah. Yeah. Kids play pretend. Except in a role-playing game, the players, the people who are helping to tell the story, take on the role of an individual character, sort of like an actor would. And then they respond to the story that everyone is telling in the way that they think that person actually would. Right. So it's not about winning or losing. It's about playing a character that's part of a story. Of course, I don't know if you remember when you were little and you were playing pretend with your friends and someone would just say, well, I'm the policeman and you're the robber and I shoot you and you're dead. So lie on the ground. Yeah. Bang, you're dead. Right. And then, of course, as you, as the kid who got shot, was like, no, you totally missed. No, you totally because missed. That's boring. I don't want to lie on the ground for 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly. No, you missed. <laughs> Get bent. So role-playing games include an additional role of an adjudicator who has a final say in what actually happens so that it doesn't devolve into this like game of Kelvin Ball, which, for those of you who know nothing about anything nerdy, it's a game that was played in the Calvin and Hobbes comic. Yeah, that had no rules at all. They never made any sense, but Calvin and Hobbes loved it. No one else understood it. I highly recommend turning this podcast off right now and just going just reading and reading Calvin, Calvin and Hobbes. Hobbes. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing makes you feel better than reading <laughs> Calvin and Hobbes. You might hear this adjudicator referred to as a game master. That's very common. Uh, GM is the is the shorthand for that. Uh, you might also hear dungeon master or DM. That's what it's called with Dungeons and Dragons, which is probably the only role-playing game you've maybe ever heard of. Yeah, it's a bit unfortunate that there's so much crossover between like Fifty Shades of Grey terminology right. and role playing role playing games and a dungeon master. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of games will use the term referee or narrator. Yep, and this person is usually helped out by dice. When you have a question of what happens and you aren't sure what the outcome would be, you typically roll dice, compare it to some numbers that are given to you, and determine what the outcome would be. Shane, if this is a game with dice, surely there must be money involved, yes? 
No money. What's the point? Also, the dice have lots of sides, not just six. They're not just cubes. They're also other funny shapes. Many different platonic solids. Right, called polyhedrals. <laughs> we'll get into those in a little bit. Also, modern role-playing games typically have a book right. made of paper. Yeah, you, you get a book that's published by a game company that's got all the rules that you need to build your character, uh, get all those numbers onto a sheet of paper to help you understand what to do to the dice when you roll them, and then help you participate in the story that you're telling with the other players and the game master. So let's talk a little bit about the history of role-playing games. These initially grew out of military wargaming. So, you know, you have ancient games like chess that are intended to simulate two armies in combat. Shane, you can help me out with uh, some of this uh Germanic pronunciation. Mm -hmm. In the 19th century, the Prussians had a war game. A Kriegspiel. That they used to train military officers. So each player would take control of an army and then move them across little miniature terrain. Actually, they had like swappable miniature terrain. Like this is a mountain and this is a field and these are houses and this Mm -hmm. is a castle. Mm -hmm. Some of you out there might be more familiar with modern versions of this like Axis and Allies. Yeah, Risk is kind of similar to Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, mm -hmm. You could really do it just using your little green army men from the big bucket and yeah. just, you know, figuring out like, oh, okay, cool. So if I roll a three or higher, then he shoots that green army man and dies. So at the same time, all of this was developing in the zeitgeist. There were other activities like mock trials or debate clubs or model United Nations that were getting really popular. If you think about like civil war or revolutionary war reenactors, all of these require adopting a position or like a personality that wasn't necessarily your own, but acting it out anyway. Mm -hmm. But in the early 1970s, the two of these came together with the development of war games where each player was controlling just one individual rather than an entire army. Yeah. And in 1974, Dungeons and Dragons was released, which drew heavily from fantasy like uh, Lord of the Rings and then merge that with military fiction. And the idea was that you were just playing one grunt and you might be a dwarf or an elf or a wizard or a guy with a big axe. Fast forward to today and there are thousands of different role-playing games, each with different rules that all take place in different kinds of fictional worlds, you know, not necessarily fantasy. could be sci-fi or it could even be like the real world. And right now, I think in the U.S. alone, there are nearly 6 million people who play RPGs. You're not alone. (laughs) We are not alone. (laughs) It's not like the old days in the 80s. (laughs) Right. Yes. Oh, the long ago when we were chased into the basements by the jocks. (laughs) (laughs) That's more like Stranger Things. Yeah. I remember those days, except there were were no psychic abilities. No matter how hard you tried, man. (laughs) So why do people play role-playing games? What's, what's the appeal? Well, first off, it's the same as any other hobby. They, they find it fun. But there are some additional benefits that you get from RPGs that you don't get from a lot of other different kinds of hobbies. Yeah, what, what makes RPGs unique? Well, there's a special kind of camaraderie that is required to play RPGs because the game requires interpersonal interaction You have to be responding to other people's ideas. There's a lot of cooperative problem solving. The core unit of the game is what's called the party, which is a group of people who are trying to accomplish some sort of task. Mm -hmm. And you win or lose together as a group, typically. Yeah, I, I think it's also a very creative expression, right? You are your character. You're playing your character, but you also get to control who your character is what is their background how do they think about problems how do they react to things that happen to them like that's a that's a creative endeavor right it's easier than writing a novel for sure (laughs) yeah and it makes you feel like much less of a failure if it doesn't quite go the way (laughs) no sometimes it makes you feel like plenty of a failure thanks Yeah, the hobby draws a lot of interest from, you know, improvisers and actors and people with theater backgrounds. Mm -hmm. But then also at the same time, people who like very crunchy numbers and spend a lot of time, you know, with video games or war games or chess. Yeah, it's, you know, ranging from Vin Diesel to uh, me. Stephen Colbert. (laughs) Are you guys on opposite ends of a spectrum, though? I don't don't know. know. You might be right. I'm probably better at math. (laughs) I'm going to tell him you said that. 
And to be perfectly honest, I'm sure that for a lot of people, there's still an aspect of wish fulfillment involved. Uh, this happens a lot with like preteens and teenagers who are playing the game. There is an allure to acting like you are Conan the Barbarian. Right, yeah. And, and not be constrained by the real world. Right? Mm-hmm. You're only constrained by your imagination. But I think these days there are a lot of people who play RPGs in order to continue the experience that they have from consuming other media. So if you're a huge fan of the Lord of the Rings movies... There's a game for that. It's called the One Ring RPG. (laughs) Or just, you know, Dungeons & Dragons. It's eventually evolved sort of away from Lord of the Rings. But pro tip, if you want to play Frodo or any other Hobbit, they're called Halflings. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Also, no one wants to play Frodo. Nope. Mm -mm. He's boring. But it's, it's easy to either emulate settings that are similar to movies, like The Matrix... You know, if you want to play with superheroes, there are lots of licensed oh, and so unlicensed superhero games. Mm-hmm. You know, Star Wars is kind of a thing again. So there's Star Wars role playing games, like five editions of it. Well, if you think about it, in the years uh, from Return of the Jedi to the prequels, the thing that kept Star Wars alive in the imagination of people and eventually led to Lucas being able to make the prequels was both all the freaking books that they put out. And the role-playing games. The role-playing game actually came out pretty much immediately afterwards before the EU stuff came out. So, like, the novels and, and whatnot that kind of fed the Star Wars fan base were fed their information from the role-playing game. Right. They had to, like, come up with, what is the name of that creature in the back of... The Mos Eisley Cantina. That species must have a name. I guess we're coming up with that. Yeah, and it can't be just Hammerhead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but Mon Calamari... Yeah, I think I mean, it could be Hammerhead. That one was pretty bad, yeah. <laughs> so there are there are lots of official properties tied to novel series and TV shows, movies that are available in role-playing game form. I think there have already been like three Firefly RPGs, like officially licensed. Yeah, which means it's almost got more RPGs than it does episodes. <laughs> We're getting close. Okay, so let's talk a bit about how you actually play RPGs. In the show notes to this episode, we are going to link to a few different what are called actual plays. These are recordings of people who are actually playing Dungeons & Dragons or different role-playing games. So you can sort of hear the back and forth and the give and take of the conversation of people playing the game. Yeah, that is optional listening. Although we're in some of them, so probably you don't want to listen to them. (laughs) Not optional for my mother. (laughs) She's like our biggest fan. Oh, believe me, I know. (laughs) A few weeks ago, I was sending out the Patreon rewards, and I messaged Shane, and I was like, is this this person your mom? Because, like, I'm trying to decide if I'm supposed to be sending her, like, a button, and then I didn't get an answer right away, and I was like, wait, what am I talking about? Of course we're going to send your mom a button. (laughs) Right. (laughs) She gets a button. She's the only one who's going to wear it. (laughs) All the time. All right, so, yeah, let's, let's talk about how to play role-playing games the main gist of it is task resolution you know you can tell whatever story you want but you need to have a way to decide whether the thing that you say you do actually happens so the way that works is the player declares an action here is what i do or here's what my character attempts to do i am going to swing my axe at the orc so the gm narrator whomever is running the game then determines what the difficulty of that action is going to be. And that's usually codified in the book, the RPG book somewhere, Mm -hmm. but it might be that the GM makes it up on their own. Yeah, so it might be a scale of numbers that have different adjectives, and I have to decide, is this an impossible task? Is this a very difficult task? Is this a routine task? And Or it could be, hey, this orc has armor on, so it's going to be a 16. Then, Shane, you pick up your polyhedral dice. I pick up a die with 20 sides, perhaps. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to roll it and see what the number is. Then based on my character, I might add perhaps my strength or maybe I'm trained with axes. So I add another little bit for that. So let's say you're pretty good with axes. You get to add six to whatever you're going to roll on this 20-sided die. Okay. I rolled a 16. Oh, wow. That's really good. You probably would have been fine anyway. But you add your six. That's a 22. Which is... Certainly higher than the 16 you needed in the first place to hit. So I hit him. You do. Perfect. Now what happens? 
many more rules. <laughs> Depending on the game, you'll roll different dice to determine how hard the hit was. Right. Or if he was injured by it, or maybe I got some extra effect because I rolled high enough. Totally depends on what the game is. Right. Now, these games aren't just about fighting. This kind of task resolution is also used for certain kinds of conversations. So let's say, for example, I'm playing a space pirate okay. who is definitely not named Han Solo. Oh, non Bolo. Okay, non-Bolo. Okay, non-Bolo. Is inside the uh, Breath Star. Um, it's called the Murder Ball. Okay. okay. <laughs> On the Murder Ball, infiltrating it, right, uh-huh. dressed as a, a born trooper. You okay. are so bad at this. What? <laughs> a born trooper? Yeah, because they're good at fighting. Okay, all right. Oh, wait, so they're all clones of, of Jason, Bourne. Jason Bourne. Yeah, obviously. From- Whoa, he traveled that back far in back time. in time. Back in time, yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Yeah, dear, no. dear listener, I hope you know anything about Star Wars. The Bo- okay, so the born, the born <laughs> the troopers. <laughs> Talk about whitewashing. Yeah. It's not from New Zealand anymore. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what are you going to do with these, uh, with these stormtroopers on the murder ball? All I am trying to do is convince the guard on the other end of this comm device that nothing's wrong, nothing's happening. Everything's okay. Just ignore the alarms. Oh, okay. Okay, but the alarms are going off, mm-hmm, so that's mm-hmm. going to make it... He's going to be a little bit suspicious. But I am so charming and roguish. You are charming and roguish. I'm, I'm very good at this. And you're calling over the official channel, mm-hmm. so that, that he's going to naturally think that you would be a, a stormtrooper yourself. So, okay, yeah, I'll say that that's a 12. No, oh, not pretty, so bad. All right. easy. And because I am pretty good at this, I've got a plus five. Yeah, well, no, hang on. You're non-Bolo. I mean, <laughs> you're at least a plus seven. In a real role-playing game, this would all be written down and adjudicated ahead of time. Here, hand me the d20. Let's see how I do. Okay. That's a five. Ooh, plus seven? That's a 12. That's a 12. You did it. I'm good. Good thing you got <laughs> you got that extra bonus for being non-Bolo. It's, it's a good thing. You know what? If, uh, if I'd rolled any lower, though, I think I would have just gotten angry and shot the console. Oh, yeah. That yeah. happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he believes you. And so then he doesn't send extra guards down to the control room to check it out. You've got the control room to yourself. Whew. Time to sabotage. Right. Where is that tiny trash can? <laughs> Uh, this could also be used for trying to scale a wall. Let's say that I were sneaking into the third floor of uh, Born Enterprises. <laughs> and I want to shut down that cloning facility before they send all those clones back in time to be Born Troopers on the murder ball. It's a good thing we teamed up with John Connor and got all those time machines. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right, third floor. I don't know, Born Enterprises is uh, pretty intense security. It's up there with LexCore. I'm going to say the difficulty for this is a solid 18. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I am going to use those sticky things, you know? The, oh, like, magnetic yeah, those, those suction cups. Suction cup okay. things. Yeah, uh-huh. so I'll have those. So, uh, But I'm also like not really an experienced climber. So what's my bonus? You're going to get a bonus from using the equipment, but right. since you're not that great at it, I think you're you're looking at a plus four altogether. Plus four? Yeah. Okay. I don't have great odds on this. You definitely don't. I rolled a one. Oh, that's the lowest you could roll. I can't roll any lower than that. Uh, that's not good. So I'm going to fail. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? It depends on the kind of game you're playing. Sometimes failure means you're caught and you die. Those are usually bad games, though. Well, I guess probably falling and dying would be more unfortunate since it's only the third floor. It's worse to succeed a little bit and then fail and fall the whole way down. <laughs> so this might mean that you don't make any progress, but you don't lose any progress and you can potentially try again. It could mean that you fall and, and get really hurt. It could mean that I alerted the guards. So even though I made it up, I didn't make it up sneakily. Mm-hmm. These are all potential options, and what actually happens depends on the kind of game you're playing, whatever the GM decides, and then input from the players. Right. So in our examples, we keep referencing how good someone is at a particular task. And the reason that you know how good the character you are playing is at something is because you have what's called a character sheet. It lists all of your abilities and your skills and who you are. Yeah, it also tells you stuff about what your job or background or personality is like. And if it's a game that has 
multiple species in it, what that would be, like if you're an alien or a human or an elf or a dwarf. Yeah, it's one of the first things that you do when you're playing an RPG. It's called character creation. You decide who is it that I'm going to play in this game. And the first thing you do is usually, in most games, is generate your game statistics. You have what are called ability scores, often, that denote how strong or how smart or how nimble the character that you're playing is. Or how good-looking you are. For some, yeah, for some games, there are definitely numbers that just tell you how good-looking you are. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. What is my hotness score? Old non-volo. <laughs> Weirdly enough, in D&D, 10 isn't that good. No, no. You are a solid 10, super <laughs> average. <laughs> yeah, so these are either selected from options or bought or rolled randomly using dice. The main takeaway is you won't be good at everything. For everything you're good at, you'll usually have something that you're not so good at. And then you'll also select skills or specializations or like special talents that you have that further kind of define who your character is and what they're good at and and what they do so maybe you're playing someone who is very strong and very quick but not all that bright okay and this person who's very strong and very quick but not all that bright might be a former athlete so they might be even better at certain tasks that involve physical exertion running climbing carrying things right But maybe in their day job, before they came to this game, they were an air conditioner repairman. So they know a lot about technical things and how to use their hands and and how to repair things or work with mechanics. So this is a character who you might refer to as not book smart, but someone who understands very specific tasks, technical ones. Right. So they may not necessarily know the airspeed velocity of a sparrow off the top of their head, but... If you need someone to look at blueprints and figure out the best way that maybe we can sneak through the ducts in order to break into a vault, they're probably the one to help you do it. Exactly. And also, like, probably good with a pistol or something. Most characters in role-playing games are good at fighting. (laughs) In some manner. Yeah. (laughs) Or hiding. Or hiding. (laughs) You'll usually be picking uh, some sort of species, as Shane mentioned, fantasy or sci-fi, and that will typically adjust your ability scores so if you're an elf elves in most games are a bit more dexterous than humans tend to be on average Mm -hmm. some species will present magic spells that you'll know just because you're innately magical or they'll have skill bonuses or sometimes skill penalties next you will choose a job which is sometimes called a class or a role but it basically answers the question of what does your character do What is your contribution to the team, and what is it that you define yourself as? If you think about the party as the main characters of Firefly, Jane is a mercenary. Like, his job is soldier. Right. Wash is pilot. Yeah. Han Solo is smuggler. Princess Leia is general. (laughs) Politician. (laughs) (laughs) What your job is going to generally define for your character is a a set of capabilities a set of of things that you can do in the game that will give you more advantages or give you special bonuses or whatever it is either fighting or out of combat that help solidify your role in the party in most games this role is going to be the biggest impact on who your character is and what your character is capable of doing so if you're a fighter you're going to get things that make you better at fighting. If you're a wizard, you're going to get things that make you better at casting spells. If you're a pilot, you're going to get things that make you fly better. What if I'm a fighter pilot? Okay, well... I'm multiclassed. I'm good with arms and armor and airplanes. Yeah, well, you're, you're quite the Renaissance man. Yes. Even though neither of those time periods are in the Renaissance. True. Also a musketeer. (laughs) So once you have all the, what are called mechanics of your character, you know, all the numbers that you add to die rolls, what you layer on top of that is the personality. And that is pretty much whatever kind of person it is that you want to play in this game. Yeah, so these are things like, are you a good person? Are you a bad person? Are you brave or cowardly? Are you confident or are you nervous? What's your name? What did your parents do? Right. What made you join this group? 
to embark on this story in the first place. And what kind of goals do you have? What is it that this character is trying to get out of this? Because as a player, you're probably here to, just to have fun, hang out with your friends. Like drink some beer and yeah, have roll some, some dice. nachos. Woo! Most characters are not here to drink beer and eat nachos. Right. They're here to kick ass and chew bubble gum. And we're all out of kicking ass? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this might be something like the Bourne Corporation had my mother assassinated that's tragic wow yeah. it's very it's very heavy i would be or uh or maybe you know like i worked for the born corporation and discovered something that i shouldn't have known and now i'm on the run it's very weird that jason Bourne doesn't know his name if literally everything is named after him yeah oh it's kind of like wayne enterprises <laughs> <laughs> who could afford all these gadgets yeah. No one in R&D has figured out that, like, (laughs) Batman keeps showing up in Wayne's stuff. That one guy, that one idiot guy who wanted to blackmail the Batman. Right. (laughs) So some players base the personality on the abilities that they selected previously. You know, okay, well, I'm smart and strong and not that bright. I've got a heart of gold and I'm a a gentle giant and I help people out. Yeah, I'm, I'm playing Lenny from Of Mice and Men. What is with you and the tragedy? (laughs) (laughs) Also, she really should have gotten a saving throw. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Another character might have lots of charisma and charm, and you might think, okay, he's a a street grifter. He's a con man who runs a three-card Monty. Other people have a personality in mind for the character before they do anything else, before they've decided on the species or like what the abilities are going to be. They say, you know what? She is going to be a quick draw gunslinger traveling the West and stepping in to make things right when people can't fend for themselves. She's Kung Fu, but with a gun. Right. So then you're going to make your character and select the abilities that will make her feel like a gunslinger. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Now you have your character, and the other people you're playing with, usually two, three, four other people, uh, will have their characters. You'll sit with your game master, and you'll start playing. We generally refer to games as adventures. Yeah, it's just old terminology. What are we going to do today? We're going to go on an adventure. Right. (laughs) (laughs) An adventure in our minds. So the GM sets the stage. They tell everyone else where they are, what the situation is, and then asks them what their characters do in this situation. And the players say, okay, we're in this small town. We're going to go to the tavern and talk to the bartender. And then the GM adopts the character of the bartender and says, welcome to the tavern. What would you like to have? The players respond and the banter continues back and forth. If the players had decided, you know what, we're going to go shopping or we're going to go out into the woods and try to find some creatures to kill oh good then i'm the gm and i'm going to play the bandits who are going to attack you as you enter the woods because that's their turf exactly the players play these individual characters and the gm populates the entire world with everyone else right it it's more work it is yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but the key here is that if you had gone and spoken to the bartender, he might have told you about the bandit problem they were having in the woods. And that way, when the characters went to the woods, they would have known about it and they would have had a plan for those bandits. Maybe not have been surprised by them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe they would have uh, surprised the bandits even. So you may have heard people talk about adventures before, but they will be like a named adventure. Storm King's Thunder. Or something like that. And these are pre-published adventures that a GM can run their players through. So it lays out what the setting is like and what the possible options for the players are and then tells the person running the game what happens depending on the decisions that the characters make. Right. A lot of times they'll have some maps and a dungeon in it they'll have relatively straightforward goals. You know, there is something bad happening and the players have to stop it. And along the way, they need to go into those caverns and and find the magic sword that can defeat him. Being a GM is a lot of work, but running an adventure that was already published is much, much easier. Right. And and along the way, you'll have a, you know, a series of challenges, a series of decisions. Those will all be spelled out for you, as well as probably some statistics for some monsters that will be fighting the party. And just like the players, when you're the GM, you look at the statistics of the monster, roll some dice, 
do a little bit of math and determine whether or not the monsters succeed at what they're doing, which is usually trying to tear the party limb from limb. And uh, spoiler alert, typically the GM is going to lose. Which is a good thing. Generally, the game ends if the GM wins, so <laughs> you usually want the characters to end up winning at the end of your story. Right. It is a communal story everyone's telling together. Right. It's usually less fun when Little Red Riding Hood is just simply eaten by the big bad wolf and no huntsman shows up. Yeah. Most groups will get together on a regular basis, once a week, twice a month, and play for, you know, four to six hours or so. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they will have a small mini adventure. Yeah, so we played today, and then next week I'm going to make a new character. We're going to play a different adventure, right? You could do that, but that's not how most people do it. Okay. Usually you bring your sheet back, because you spend a lot of time making this character. That's true. Yeah. I did spend a lot of time thinking about non-Bolo. <laughs> You'll show up again with non-Bolo and continue the story where you left off. And... There are some groups that will play the same characters and the same continuing story for months or even years. Yeah, so a little bit later in this episode, we will talk about one of the campaigns that you and I are a part of. We're actually still currently playing it, um, and we've previously talked about a campaign that we ran for three years. Which, compared to some campaigns, actually isn't all that long either. No. But of course, if you think about the stories that we see in media, you know, seven seasons of a TV show lasts seven years. Yeah. Or, you know, The Simpsons. <laughs> right. <laughs> 29 years. <laughs> Although they're not doing much advancement in terms of their characters. They're not changing much. No, they're definitely not changing age. <laughs> <laughs> but that is something that happens in role-playing games. It's something that is sort of unique to role-playing games is that the character advances the character changes their motivations change their goals change and their abilities change yeah so over the course of a campaign you will level up your character so you'll add new statistics or new abilities change some numbers you know erase some old stuff add some new stuff that will make your character more powerful in the fiction in the story of your game if that sounds a lot like video games that is because Role-playing games is where video games got the idea of leveling up from. Yeah, that's a very common concept now. What is different about the role-playing games that we play versus a lot of video games is that you still control the personality and the history of your character. So or they have a personality and a history. <laughs> and a history, right, yeah. <laughs> and you have, you have choice in that. So the fact that your very first adventure you went into the caves and defeated a small band of goblins, right? Maybe you ended up with a scar from that and when you're you know 10 20 sessions later and you see a goblin you might be reminded that i have a scar from that i i am bitter about that i don't respect goblins for what they did to me um, and that's a character choice that you're making it's not on your sheet it's part of the character that you've decided to play it's yours and yours alone so like we mentioned before there are many different types of role-playing games these days if you want to play a relatively standard fantasy game, there's, of course, Dungeons & Dragons, which is the most popular role-playing game in the market. Mm -hmm. There's also Pathfinder, which is based off an older version of Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, there's also some licensed fantasy games. So there's a role-playing game for Lord of the Rings uh, called The One Ring. There's a licensed game for Game of Thrones called A Song of Ice and Fire RPG. Yeah, that's interesting because that game came out before the TV show did. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be very based on the books. Right, right. If you want to play a cyberpunk game, say like Blade Runner, then Shadowrun is probably your best bet for a role-playing game. Yep. If you like more of a science fiction fantasy blend, sci-fantasy, if you will, something like Star Wars or Warhammer 40K are established properties um, there's also Numenera which is a role playing game only property that's a kind of a, a great introduction to RPGs one of the reasons that people like RPGs is that you can play characters that you wouldn't want to see in the real world you know sometimes people like to watch movies with an anti-hero or they want to watch the bad guys they're the popular ones mm -hmm. so you do get a lot of games that are based on you know the horror genre or even gothic horror where you play as the quote-unquote bad guys so games like vampire where you play as a vampire yeah and, and those games are a lot like uh, true blood or uh, vampire diaries or some of those sorts of tv shows i think you're thinking of twilight 
Okay. Yeah. You're I always guess, thinking of Twilight. I guess I left that one out. Uh, <laughs> just went ahead and buried that one somewhere in my subconscious. I'm surprised there's no official Twilight role-playing game. I can't imagine anyone can afford that license. Uh, fair. You know, there is no official Harry Potter role-playing game. Because no one can afford that license. And also, I'm pretty sure J.K. Rowling is like, mm, no, I, I run this. Yeah, no one else writes Harry Potter but me. Yeah. And I don't know that she knows what a role-playing game is. So <laughs> Probably. She's yeah. not going to write it. There are so many superhero games out there, but some of the most... Uh, popular are things like mutants and masterminds or champions yep there's also role-playing games if you would like to play a story more like an action movie like die hard or die hard 2 or uh die hard with a vengeance mm-hmm. or uh die hard 4 die harder is that it the one with justin long live free or die hard oh sorry you're right that's correct that game is called feng shui and it's also modeled after asian action cinema as well and there are plenty of games out there that aren't based on any kind of particular setting or intellectual property. They're games where you can run any kind of story in any kind of setting that you want. So Savage Worlds or Powered by the Apocalypse are games where you can say, you know what, we're going to play a Blade Runner game. We're just going to use this system. Or we're going to play a fantasy game. We're still going to use this system. Right. And last but not least, it's kind of hard to talk in nerd culture right now without also mentioning Cthulhu and the Lovecraft mythos. So if you're interested in, in HP Lovecraft and, and those sorts of stories, uh, Call of Cthulhu is a is a very popular RPG as well mm-hmm. um, that I, w- I would recommend as an easy entry point for people who are familiar with Lovecraft horror. And then last and probably least. Uh, LARPing. Live action role playing. This has a lot more in common, I guess, with war reenactors. Yeah, yeah. This is probably where the nerdiest of stereotypes of role-playing games come from, mm-hmm. is the idea of somebody dressed up in chainmail and, and waving around a foam sword and actually fighting an orc physically. Someone dressed as an orc. Right, right. You know, in a public park somewhere. Kind of similar to role models. <laughs> oh, yeah. That actually was a great movie. <laughs> yeah, it was a great movie, and, and it actually made larping look almost entertaining <laughs> almost yeah so full disclosure neither of us larps i don't know i've never actually done it have you uh no i have had no interest i, so I don't i don't not want my to. area of expertise not that there's anything wrong with that i mean people used to say the same thing about world of warcraft which i also don't play me neither so to each his or her own i suppose yeah anyway i think as an introduction it's a different form of role playing that isn't centered around being at a table and imagining it's it's bringing a little more of like physical reality to the game it is not my cup of tea and you can absolutely enjoy this hobby without ever running across it okay so let's just pretend for a second that we've convinced you and now you're super interested in role-playing games how do you get started well the easiest way to do that probably is to start your own group Find some friends, con them into joining, and start playing. Yeah, just like we did in middle school middle and high school. school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Usually that means someone's going to have to buy some books. Usually there's at least one book for the players, and there might be another book for the Game Master. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of free role-playing games online that you can download as PDFs. Mm-hmm. There are also some basic rules for Dungeons & Dragons. Yep. Um, find those friends introduce them to the rules and just kind of start muddling your way through it Mm -hmm. you know tell tell a story and roll some dice and see what happens yeah screw up a bunch because that's the best way and the fastest way to learn right these days though there are plenty of resources you can go listen to podcasts i can't think of any podcasts off the top of my head that would be about role-playing games no don't i would have any interesting advice no definitely not yeah not this one Mm -mm -mm. but they're out there uh, another thing you can do is join an existing group. We did a whole episode on finding groups and joining as a new player. That was episode seven. Um, places like Reddit or Meetup, local gaming stores are good options. Or if you know a f- another friend who has played before, maybe they can help you or, or maybe might even be willing to start a group for you. You probably already know people who play RPGs but aren't really vocal about it since there's still a fair amount of stigma uh, in certain social circles about it. Well, given that you've gotten to this point, 
<laughs> like of finding this podcast, you almost certainly know somebody Someone. who plays. <laughs> they probably said, please, please care about what I care about. Right. So go to that person and ask them to introduce you to the game. Probably a good idea. It's also possible to play online. Um, there's a few different software platforms that enable you to create your character sort of in a in a digital format and interact through voice or video chat or just typing kind of old school chat yeah although we probably wouldn't recommend that route if you are completely new to role-playing games i I think there are probably beginner games available um roll20.net has a pretty active player community for new players but i would kind of go in with the understanding that most people prefer to play in person if possible because it's a little bit more of a social experience versus playing through a computer. So both of us came to role-playing games as younger folks. We've been Each of us has been playing for about 20 years now. Mm-hmm. But RPGs have definitely helped me hone my communication skills. They've made me a lot more confident with my writing as I've been running games, and they've really helped with long-term strategic planning, you know, planning out a story and things like that. I mean, I'm a I work as a writer now, so right. it certainly helps me in my like actual job. Yeah, that's like directly feeding your job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is handy. But if you've never played a role-playing game or like you know someone who does, if you're a parent whose kid is getting into to RPGs, these days there's a lot of sort of like hand-wringing around too much screen time and, you know, are people interacting with fake friends on Facebook and mm-hmm. what about actual friends? And role-playing games are still one of those very analog hobbies where we get together physically in one location. We bring pads of paper and books and pencils and write things down and like look at paper maps yeah and and also because it's so cooperative i think is another piece of that camaraderie you can build in in a lot of different ways right you know theater or sports or music but because it's so cooperative and working towards solving a problem and the win is sort of everybody has fun rather than having to perform at a certain level or score a certain number of goals or whatever it is like i I think having kind of a softer condition makes it a little easier to let your guard down and and just have fun which is very hard or was hard for me as a kid anyway to just do that right children are so guarded with like managing their social situation and all that stuff it was just an easy thing to just imagine for a bit with my friends and like and then go back to school on Monday, you know? Yeah, so try it out. And you might find that you like it. Which I guess is also the pitch that people give from Fifty Shades of Grey. So I guess, yeah. once again, there's more overlap. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> we'll never get away from that, E.L. James. You even knew the name. Of course I do. <laughs> I mean, I know trivia. <laughs> All right, speaking of trivial things... What's happening in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? Okay, if you're new to the show and RPGs, this is the part of the show where we talk about games that we've played in the past and how our storyline and campaign progressed. So Dynasty Unwarranted is a game called Rogue Trader set in the Warhammer 40k universe and published by Fantasy Flight Games. And our Rogue Traders are on the feudal world of Gauntlegrim. The crew of the His Enduring Light stand accused of heresy, They have betrayed the Emperor of Mankind. We are definitely innocent. So I am playing Trank, one of the characters in the party, in the game that Shane is running. And Yeah, I am the Game Master. Brian, who plays our Seneschal, Trix, has mounted a valiant defense, uh, laying out exactly what led us to this point. But the problem is that it's just so fantastical, (laughs) because truth is far stranger than fiction that it is not believed yeah the uh the commissar just d- doesn't believe a word that he's saying even though it's all true normally the punishment for heresy is death but that's a boring game yeah <laughs> <laughs> so fortunately um the head of the imperial guard forces on the planet colonel Sturm, sees a use for you guys now the planet is at war with the native orcs And they're kind of losing ground, and they need something to turn the tide. And they're going to use you. 
Yeah, fortunately, we've had some minor success in dealing with the orcs, and so these lowly grunts in the trenches kind of looked up look up to us as heroes, weirdly, because we are no heroes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so Colonel Sturm, said, he, he basically offers you a deal. He'll stay your execution while investigating your fantastical claims, and in exchange, you will serve the Imperial Guard on the front line in the trenches fighting the orcs. That sounds awful. But it does sound better than being summarily executed. It is better than death. <laughs> So each of us is assigned a different kind of task that sort of kind of makes use of our abilities. Yeah. So your Seneschal tricks. he's severely wounded, but fundamentally a middle manager. Yeah, he's the diplomat of the ship. Right. So he gets assigned to untangle this logistical issue. Uh, the men are on the front lines in the trenches and some of them are running out of ammunition to fight the orcs with and others have boxes and boxes of ammunition that they don't know what they're doing the orders keep going out to move it and somehow it's not getting in the right places and imperial guardsmen are dying in the process somebody has to figure this out so Trix does a bit of investigating he follows a few of the runners who are carrying the large boxes of ammunition from the supply depot to the trenches and he's noticing a lot of these people who are doing this are teenagers who are too young to actually serve on the front lines mm -hmm. and when he gets to actually talking to them it turns out guess what a lot of them are actually illiterate because this is a world with a feudal level of technology yep they can't read where these boxes are supposed to go yeah so they they can see the symbols but they don't know what they mean so they're not interpreting correctly where these need to go they're just trying to match and it's not going well so instead of relying on easily transposed numbers, a nine or a six, a one or a seven, he just switches it to colors. Fortunately, there isn't a lot of hereditary colorblindness <laughs> yeah. among this group. <laughs> he quickly avoids red-green colorblind. <laughs> and everything sorts itself out. Yep. Meanwhile, Doc, your chief Medicaid, he gets assigned to the field surgery because he's going to go save some lives. But that's not always his chief objective. Uh, no, he's an actual heretic. <laughs> we just need to keep that quiet. So he does uh, some unsanctioned experimentation. It doesn't go well. And then he proceeds to get kicked out of the field surgery pretty quickly. Instead, he's reassigned to the front lines to hold off uh, the orcs in one of the bloodiest trenches. Yeah, it's a... Uh... <laughs> Congratulations, you're going to the worst part of the fighting. You've been promoted. Right. <laughs> And unfortunately, the orcs are just launching yet another one of their raids. So uh, it's going to be a hot zone. Echo, however, our quartermaster, has been spending a lot of time with our bosun, who we uh, sort of took as a refugee from the Dark Eldar ship. Yeah. An incubus named Sereth. He has been drilling the troops on our ship to maintain better discipline and order. And, and loyalty. Yeah, that's true. And she volunteers uh, for RIP detail here on the surface. That, of course, is retraining, indoctrination, and punishment. Uh, these are all the screw-ups. Yeah, given how poorly things are going uh, on the front lines, uh, morale is down, and there's a basically a large, pathetic mob of, of hundreds of soldiers who just aren't really good at doing anything right now and could really use a little extra discipline. So our bookworm yep. <laughs> says, wait a minute, I've read about discipline. <laughs> and I've witnessed wanton cruelty. <laughs> I feel like I can apply the two and whip them into shape. She is at this point basically a tiny bly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she whips them into shape using the bosun's methods, just in time to reinforce the trench that Doc is in and repel that orc charge. And then Ishin, your character, Trank... Where does he get assigned? Oh, he finally gets an opportunity to do what he's, he's good at. He is a scout. He's good at reconnaissance. And he finally gets a real, actual recon mission. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. Uh, do you hear that, Ishan? Uh, is that the sound of us messing around with the show order and ruining these transitions? Indeed it is. Yeah. 
Either way, we're going to move on to the Character Creation Forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sans Carne, that's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, at TotalPartyThrill. So this week on the Character Creation Forge, we're building Beginner's Luck. This is a character built specifically for new or first-time players. So regular listeners, if you've got a new person in the group who hasn't played many RPGs, consider handing them Beginner's Luck. New players, if you're showing up, consider playing this build. So we chose this build because it would be easy to play. It would give you sort of a crash course in the game mechanics. It will have pretty good survivability, so it allows a certain amount of forgiveness for making mistakes, right? Uh, you don't have to play perfectly in order to survive. It also fits pretty much any kind of backstory. You know, any character that you want to play, any personality that you want to play will fit with this build. And you don't have to, you know, pick a specific god or decide that you want to cast spells or not cast spells. Yep. It'll work in almost any setting. And certain GMs have restrictions on the kinds of materials that you can use in a particular game. This will fit with almost all of them. And then last, it has to be able to provide a meaningful contribution to the party. You have to have a thing where it's like, okay, cool. That's that's what I do. That's That's my thing. So the build is Champion Fighter 14 thief rogue six and we're going to start out human if possible and variant human if that's allowed uh to get the lucky feat so that we can re-roll some of those failures and get a little more success it is much more fun to succeed than to fail yeah it's a good feat all around it's nice for a beginner if variant human isn't available for some reason regular human is bad just don't take it and maybe look at elf or halfling uh, something with a good dexterity bonus yep now, long-time listeners, we're going to give you some advice here that will seem counterintuitive to you, things that we never usually suggest that you do. Do not start Rogue One. I repeat, do not start Rogue One. You want to start Fighter One. And that's for the extra hit points. <laughs> yep. It is really difficult to sort of know what to do and to survive to level two when you begin as a totally new player who hasn't played D&D before and you've got low hit points and really what you need to do is like hide and then leap out and surprise someone and like stab them or shoot them yeah it's just easier to be the fighter so that's what we're going to recommend you do Um, but unlike most fighters we're going to focus on dexterity as our highest ability score and then constitution so we can get some extra hit points and then we'll also take uh, a mental stat either intelligence wisdom or charisma you're going to be fighting in medium armor. You'll use a shield in one hand and then a one-handed weapon in the other. Rapier is the best weapon for your one hand, although short sword is perfectly fine. And then you'll also carry a longbow in case you you know need to shoot something far away. It'll be really tempting to be an archer. I know you're going to get that fighting style from fighter level one and you're going to go, wait, plus two to archery attacks. That looks really great. And it is really great. But it gets really boring. So we highly recommend for your very first character, don't do that. Yeah. You'll be a little bit more in the mix if you use a rapier and a shield. You'll be good at lots of different skills. So you can pick them depending on what it is that you want to be good at or what role you want to have in the party. So take stealth and perception if you want to be more like a scout. Uh, You can take deception and sleight of hand if you want to be a pickpocket. Uh, Persuasion always makes you more charming. And if you want to be that smart fighter, erudite, take history or arcana. So from fighter, you're getting that big old D10 hit die. You are able to use a shield, and right at first level, you get a little bit of self-healing from your second wind. You also get protection fighting style, uh, which gives you something to do with a reaction and encourages you to think about tactics and positioning so that you're close to your allies who might need your help. At level 3, you'll get an increased threat range. Generally, we suggest the Battlemaster Fighter because it's more fun in the long run, but maneuvers are about as complicated as low-level spells, and we're trying to avoid that right now. And Champion certainly isn't bad. Then at level 10, 
you'll get a second fighting style. Probably want to take defense or dueling. Yeah, by the time you get that high, you're going to have a good idea of whether you're getting hit a lot or whether you feel like you want to deal more damage. So do you want to be more offensive or defensive? And it's totally up to you. Uh, you'll also end up with three attacks per round. And then with Indomitable, you can re-roll a failed save. So you'll be quite tanky. Although Rogue helps with that even more. You'll get four expertises, which are going to mean that in at least four skills, you're going to be very good, maybe even the best in the party. You'll also add 3d6 for your sneak attack, uh, which is extra handy when you've got that increased threat range from champion because it's a blast to pick up those d6s and roll them one more time (laughs) when you crit. Yeah, and you'll be able to apply that on almost all of your melee attacks and then pretty much any of your ranged attacks. Mm Mm-hmm. You'll get cunning action, which makes you extremely mobile. Uh, You can chase people. You can run to get closer to an ally. You can retreat safely. With disengage, yeah. Mm -hmm. And fast hands lets you manipulate objects or, you know, disable a trap much more quickly than anyone else. Yeah, uh, second story work also combos well with Remarkable Athlete. Yeah, since you'll have a better chance of succeeding on those strength, dexterity, or constitution ability checks second story work is going to let you move just so much more quickly Mm -hmm. you know you'll be more likely to succeed at those climbing checks and you won't even be slowed down by it it's basically like you're walking up walls exactly (laughs) uh and then uncanny dodge will increase our uh survivability a little bit further also gives you another use of your reaction by reducing incoming damage by half Mm -hmm. so tactically speaking it's if you are getting hit then you use uncanny dodge to reduce the damage that you take. If your ally is being attacked, you use protection fighting style to uh, give disadvantage to the attack roll. So in terms of level progression, you want to take one level of fighter, then one level of rogue, and then probably fighter six? Yeah, to get that second ASI. Then go ahead and get all of your rogue levels up to rogue six, and then finish out fighter. Yeah, and this is nice because right at level two, you've basically got all the components of the class. You're very skilled and you're a good combatant. Yep. If you have a player who is struggling a little bit to kind of pick up the mechanics and and you're concerned that maybe they're going to have a little trouble with both classes, you can delay taking that rogue level. Mm -hmm. Um, Just go a little bit further into fighter until they're a little more comfortable with the game and then you can take the rogue level to expand their options. Yeah, probably fighter five for extra attack and then pull in rogue. Something like that. So this is a character that is very mobile, it is very skilled, and it's great at pretty much any form of combat. And you'll actually get six ability score increases. So focus on your primary, which is dex, increase your constitution, bump whichever mental attribute you really like, and that leaves you the option to take some extra feats if you're interested in them. You can play around, you've got ASI's to spare. Yeah, uh, lucky feat is a great option if you're not able to take variant human. Right. Or if you just don't want to take very human, because you know what? (laughs) Some people think playing a human is boring, and those people are not wrong. (laughs) I think half-orcs are awesome. Some GMs don't like weird, quote-unquote, weird races. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ishan, what are some character ideas for a new player who might want to uh, bring this character to the table? So I think if I was going to play this character... She would be a reluctant fighter. Okay. I think uh, she's following in a parent's footsteps, but didn't really want to. You know, kind of wanted like a a more quiet life or even just uh, to spend time performing, you know, soft skills, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Uh, So this is why she has expertise in things like persuasion and, and sleight of hand. You know, she likes to spend more time in the tavern hanging out with people and talking but you know she's got a parent who has a reputation as a great swords master okay and so here she is um with an inherited blade of fine make uh and a name that she needs to live up to and what are you gonna do you know people are people in town are sort of looking at you being like really like you're just gonna hang out in the tavern all the time what a bum no daring do right (laughs) and so she strikes out to make a name for herself really just to get people off her back right and while she's out there she discovers you know the world is in danger or maybe it's kind of nice actually feeling like you live up to your own potential nice what about you any ideas for what kind of backstory a character like this could have yeah he's um he's a runaway ran away from home 
uh, signed on with a caravan as a guard. You know, he's always been a bit bigger than the other kids in the village, but caravan came through, had an empty spot on board, and he took it to the other side of the world. So he ran off and joined the circus. Basically, yeah. Makes sense. Um, you know, and learned some uh, some fighting techniques and whatnot from years on the road, or uh, probably, honestly, just months on the road. <laughs> Maybe even weeks. <laughs> just wanted to get out of the sleepy hamlet that he grew up in. Um, didn't want to marry the uh, neighbor's daughter, uh, who his parents had kind of lined up for him and wanted to get away, so... He did. Pro tip, uh, it's good not to have family members or parents who are around because then the GM can't use them against you right. as pawns. <laughs> They've been kidnapped. No, no, they're they're dead. I'm an orphan. As a new GM, you should always <laughs> look to those backgrounds to bring stories to your characters. So uh, almost certainly my character would end up having to confront his old demons by going home. Maybe the daughter of the neighbor next door is very upset that... He ran off. And sent assassins. (laughs) (laughs) She also decided not to settle down in a sleepy hamlet. Right. (laughs) (laughs) She built a castle. Right. No, no, no. I'm not trapped here. I live here. (laughs) She becomes the queen of darkness in the east. (laughs) The necromancer. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yep. The dead don't talk back. All right. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is to become one of our patrons. You can visit patreon.com slash totalpartythrill to get access to extra content, TPT merchandise, and some dubious rewards. So if you feel like you can spare an extra $5 a month or so, please consider giving it to Amnesty International. And if you've got an extra $5 after that, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing the show every week. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We'll be recapping our time at Gen Con 2017. And in the Character Creation Forge, we're building the Silent Knight. That's Knight with a K. Well, that's it for episode 107 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.